beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this Psalm 145, the portions that we have here are the last words that we find of David in the Bible. Uh, David comes to a close in this particular chapter. And as he does, you'll notice something that he highlights on in the last few verses here. It, it deals with prayer. And prayer is, is a mainstay in the life of the Christian. Prayer is something of one of the staples that we're called to as the people of God. You read that in Acts chapter 2. Uh, the Apostles' Doctrine... Prayers is one of the things, fellowship and the breaking of bread. So the Lord's Supper and fellowship. But prayer is something that is necessary in the life of the Christian. Uh, Martin Luther once said, to be a Christian without prayer is as, is, is as is possible as being a human without breathing. It's impossible. It's impossible to be a believer and not to be one who prays. Now, I'm not going to go into how much do I have to pray, how long do I have to pray, all of those things. The Holy Spirit will work that out in the lives of His saints, the lives of the redeemed. But that you pray, and you pray to the Lord. Scripture calls us to be a people of prayer. Jesus prayed, and when He prayed, it was all night long on the Mount of Olives. It was communing. How we pray, is that a response to the teaching of God's Word? You know, and it makes sense then, right? If we're not people of the Word, we're not going to be people of prayer. If the Word of God is not primary in the life of the church, in the life of the individual believer, then prayer is not going to be highlighted either. Because we pray in accordance with the teaching of Scripture. And the Scripture is that which thrusts us forward to be a people of prayer. To know that we need to pray in all things and for everything, we need to come to the Lord. It's in coming to the Lord with our prayers and petitions with thanksgiving, we make our requests known unto Him, and He gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. So peace is given to the soul when we cast our cares upon the Lord. And that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, to cast all of your cares upon Him, knowing that He cares for you. David begins to speak about those that call upon the Lord. And all of Scripture does. From beginning with Adam and Eve, they called upon the Lord. Abraham called upon the Lord. Noah called upon the Lord. Uh, we find Isaac calling upon the Lord. Uh, we find Jacob calling upon the Lord. We find David calling upon the Lord. Elijah, Elisha. We find the prophets, Nehemiah, Daniel. We find them calling upon the Lord. We find model prayers that are given to us in Scripture. And why I say model? Because we can model our life of prayer after what we read in Scripture. Beloved, if you have a hard time in prayer then let me say one of two things are going on. Either one, you are not spending enough time in God's Word, or number two, you have not taken notice of the prayers that are there in Scripture. Psalm 86, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul lays out some prayers, and how he prayed and what he prayed, the substance and content of his prayer to God on behalf of his people. Find those prayers and use those as a model of how you pray. And as you pray, the more you pray, the more that you will 
pray and the more necessity that you'll find in prayer. I mean, that's, that's a, a real problem in the life of the church. Now, we had <clears throat> prayer meetings and, you know, there's always in the beginning, there's always <clears throat> the big show. You know, a number of people come and give it time. <clears throat> It'll dwindle. And it's exactly what had happened. You know, we had it during a weekday at a time. And next thing you know, everything else crowds out the life of prayer. Well, there's a sporting event. Well, so-and-so has such-and-such. There's a school event. There's this, there's that. No time to gather as the people of God for prayer. That's sad as the church. Spiritual things ought to take precedence. That's having your priorities straight. Uh, Not these high school sporting events. I'm not condemning the sporting events you see. But it always is this way in the life of the church. You have a sporting event and you have the things of Christ. And what always wins? This stuff, sporting events, worldly things, always take precedence for the people of God. That just shouldn't be. We don't have our priorities straight. We're not a people of the book, then we're not a people of prayer, then you lament about why isn't our culture changing? Why is the Lord not saving my my relatives who are unbelieving blasphemers? Well, the Lord uses means, and they're authentic means. And that's the evangelization of the world from the church. It's not the world evangelizing, it's the church evangelizing the world. And we don't say anything. Why? Because we're not equipped to say anything. Why? Because we're not a people of the book. And then we don't bathe these things in prayer because God no time. There's a volleyball game. It's a football game. It's a soccer game. There's a baseball game. There's a golf match. There's always something, and there's never enough time for the things that are important. Now you correct me if I'm wrong at this. It seems to me that as the church of Jesus Christ, first and foremost priority are the things of Christ. And if I have time to do the others, fine. But not neglect the things of the Lord for the worldly things. Priorities. David demonstrates a priority. Paul demonstrated priorities. The prophets demonstrated priority. We find it chiefly in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I venture to say nobody in here has spent all night in prayer. And a lot of times, people will go to the Lord just before bed and thinking they have good intentions to pray, and next thing you know, you wake up, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. It's not a good time to pray, is it? Being wise of when you pray. Not after a long, exhausting day, then you think, I'm going to spend an hour in prayer to the Lord. It ain't going to happen. You're just being foolish. You're being ignorant. You realize that the, the Spirit might be willing, but your flesh is weak. And so we find uh, in Scripture the wisdom taught to us of how to pray, how to be a people <clears throat> of prayer. Um, notice in our text here, <clears throat> David, as he begins this, this section, these last four verses, he makes this, this statement It's a bold statement. It's a comforting statement. 
that the Lord is near to all who call upon Him. Now the reference here to calling upon the Lord is prayer. God hears the prayers of His people. So that means as the God of the universe who upholds all things, this is Jehovah God. That's what you see the Lord there, all capital letters. That's what that refers to. The eternal one, the great I am. The one who upholds all things by the word of his power is the one that we come to and the one who is near to us. Boy, with the Lord near to us, the Lord hearing our prayers, the Lord providing for us. Uh, why do we fear? Why are we such a people of fear when the Lord is near to all who call upon Him? So that's the first thing that we want to look at is that God in nearness approaches unto us. That's what it means to approach. It, 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 it's something of you're sitting there, I'm standing here, and we're in the same room, but I have an approach to you. I'm not that near to you. But it'd be something else, wouldn't it? Altogether different. If I came down out of the pulpit and I came and I sat by you and we began to converse. Now you know a nearness. A nearness, not far away, not an acquaintance. You know an intimate nearness. God is intimately near to His people. He dwells within us and He hears the cries of His people. He attends to the cries of His people. They call upon Him. You know the difference between somebody that's calling out and you can't understand what they're saying and then a mother who's listening to the cry of the child. The mother attends to the voice of the child. The mother attends to that child. The mother comes to the aid and response of that child. So it is with the Lord, with all who call upon Him. Well, let me ask you then again. Are we a people that calls upon the Lord? Do we see the necessity and importance of calling upon the Lord continually? We can't have a worship service, beloved, apart from calling upon the Lord. And yet, undoubtedly, in every congregation that I've pastored, I'll have somebody that'll make the comment, he prays too long. Why does he have to pray so long? Really? I mean, is there, is there a time frame upon calling upon the Lord? Now, I know that within the worship service, there's a time for everything. But really? I mean, truth be told, you probably would rather sing than pray. Probably people think about, well, that's the worship. Singing is the worship. No, the highest form of worship is the preaching of His Word. That's the highest form of our worship, is hearing and bowing to the Word of Christ. Singing is our response to the Word. You can't even sing apart from calling upon the Lord. And this is David's point. David is telling us that God is near to us. Boy, that's comforting to me. When you're on your sickbed, God is near to you. Call upon Him. The Lord has promised to care for the sheep of His pasture. He is the good shepherd, and therefore, I don't lack. I have no want. I have no lack of things. Why? He cares for my things. 
He provides peace for my soul in the midst of turmoil and tribulation that I go through. When I have times of persecution, it's the Lord who attends with strength and courage. He is the one who girds us up to call upon Him, beloved. And not once, we are those that keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And Jesus says, and the door will be opened unto you. You know, we've prayed things on Sunday morning for years. And we waited. And we wait. And we pray. And we wait. And we pray. And we wait. And we wait for God to act. We wait for God to intercede. We wait for the Lord to bring forth in power His good will and pleasure. That's the hardest thing, isn't it? It's hard to wait. We want to take things in our own hands. Saul did that one time. Samuel was not, hadn't made the sacrifice yet. And Saul didn't want to wait. So he went and made the sacrifice, which was not given for the kings to do. And the Lord brought punishment upon him. It's waiting. Let me throw a song at you. There's a song that says, and, and the waiting is the hardest part. It's hard. And yet, wait upon the Lord and He will renew your strength. Wait, I say, David says in Psalm 27. Wait, I say, on the Lord and He will bring it to pass. But we first have to begin to pray, don't we? And if it doesn't happen in that moment, we keep on praying. Because we are called to be a people who call upon Him. And notice he says, and to call upon Him in truth. Now, to call upon the Lord, to call out to Him in prayer, and to do so in truth, is to be a people of truth. It's to know the truth. So how can I approach unto a holy God, only clothed and covered in Christ? You cannot call upon the Lord unless you are in Jesus Christ. God does not hear the prayers of the wicked. He did not attend to the prayers of the wicked. They are in a stench. They are an abomination to the Lord. So we come and we call upon the Lord in truth. So this, beloved, this tells us that we need to know His Word in order to be a people of truth, to pray in truth, to approach God in a way that's true. You must have true faith to be able to call upon the Lord. To call upon the Lord, you must desire the Lord's glory. To call upon the Lord, you have to approach Him in accordance with the teaching of Scripture. And then if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God hears us as we pray consistently in accordance with His Word. What does that mean? I think in prayer, one of the, the difficult things for people to do is to, to read providence. Now, providence is, is best read backwards. It's like the Hebrew. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to read it going forward. 
But I think the Lord clearly reveals things to us. And it needs, we need to change the direction of our prayer. For instance, somebody is in a car crash. They're in the hospital. They have surgeries. Of course, we're praying for them. We're praying for their physical healing. We're praying for humility of the church. We're praying for us to submit to God's will. But we're praying for healing for them. And rightly so. We're called to pray for the sick, sick, James 5. Alright? So as the time goes on, we notice that this individual's life is ebbing from them. You can see that things are taking, as they say, a turn for the worse. That their health doesn't look like it's going to be restored. And we still pray, Lord, bring healing to that individual. And day after day, they continue to go, as we say, downhill physically. Now, beloved, to continue to pray for healing is to put yourself in the Pentecostal or the charismatic camp and to be ignorant of God's providential hand. This individual is going to die. And in the providence of God, that's being revealed to us. And we need to pray in accordance with that. Lord, take them quickly. Give strength to the family. Help us humbly submit to your will. That's how we pray in accordance with truth. We ask, we understand, we approach to God in truth through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what David is saying. Call upon Him in truth. Now let me go back to what I said earlier, beloved. If you're not somebody that's in the Word, how in the world are you calling upon the Lord in truth? If you're not knowing God's Word, you're not knowing God's revealed will, if you're not knowing His will, how are you praying in accordance with His will? If we ask anything according to His will, His revealed Word, He hears us. There's a difference between hearing and listening. You know, somebody in here is hearing me, but they ain't listening. Somebody in here in the last five and a half years is hearing me, but they ain't listening. Because I've said again and again, get yourself into the Word of God, and you still haven't done it. You're hearing, but you ain't listening. God comes near, and He hears in a listening mode. He listens to what we're saying. And so we need to be a people that call upon Him in truth. Beloved, are you in the Word? Are you a person of prayer? Do you see that? as some of the chief priorities of your life, word and prayer, they go together. Hand and glove, word and prayer. You can't divorce one from the other. You're not a person of prayer if you're not a person of the word. If you're not a person of the word, you're not a person of prayer. David says, notice, that he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. Now, notice how this happens. That as we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, our desire is to do the will of God. We want God's will in our life, no matter how hard or difficult it may be. You know, some of us have in our windshield suffering coming. Some of us have cancer on the horizon. 
and maybe in the distance, maybe five, ten years from now. But some of us have that in our windshield. Some of you have that in your rear of your mirror. But if that's God's will for your life, how will you submit to that? It's near impossible, beloved, to do that faithfully and diligently and in a God-glorifying way if you're not a person of the Word. So as, the, as we are in the Word of God and our minds are being transformed, we are desiring more and more to think God's thoughts after Him. We're desiring His glory. We're desiring His will. And that's what we pray. Thy will be done. Not my will, but Thy will be done. Your will alone is good and righteous and holy and just. And part of the aspect of our being transformed by the renewal of our mind is that we might prove what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. It's the mind transformation that the Holy Spirit brings that causes us to desire the will of God. And so if we're not a people of truth, then how is it that your desires are going to be fulfilled? They're not, because you're not desiring the things that God has revealed in His Word. See how this all hangs together, word and prayer and desire. What is my problem when I sin? Well, James tells us what our problem is. Not just my problem, but your problem as well. What is it? It's the desire of my heart. My desires are a certain way so that certain things entice me. So what must change? Desire must change. When the desire changes, the enticement doesn't have an effect on me. Because I have no more desire for that. There, there's, when I was a kid, you know, now don't take offense at this because I'm part German. But Germans can be the most stubbornest people. And I had a grandmother who was a German, and she was stubborn. And I was about four years old, and I remember her putting, a, not just a plate, a heaping plate of goulash. And she was old school, you eat everything off your plate. I mean, when, I understand, you know, you go through depression days, and you eat everything. You know, I was in South Dakota, and when they would butcher, they would eat everything. And they would always criticize me because, you know, I wasn't interested in all the internal organs. But, but you know, I didn't go through depression. And we didn't have, well, then you ate everything, didn't you? So, I couldn't eat all that stuff and it made me sick. You know what? Not one of you in here could entice me with goulash. Because my desire has completely changed. I'm not a big noodle guy. And that's why. The desire for that stuff, it just it made me sick. And I just simply have no desire for it. The desire changed. The enticement no longer affected me because I don't have that desire any longer. And so when the Holy Spirit works through the Word, changes my desire, it's not about me building a kingdom. It's about me glorifying the Lord. It's about me understanding my priority in life. Not here for my own things. 
I'm here for the glory of God. I'm here to serve Him. I'm here to honor Him. I'm here to worship Him. Whether that be in the tractor on Monday morning, whether that be in the hospital, whether that be in the school, doesn't matter. Swinging a hammer, doesn't matter. This is what I do. I glorify God. In giving a full day's work, in praising Him, and thanking Him for the vocation and the talents and the abilities that He has given to me. It's about desiring the things of God. As Jesus said, it, it, it comes out so clearly in this. My meat and my drink is to do the will of my Father in heaven. Now, how many of us in here can truly say that? That's the oughtness, isn't it? We ought to desire that. But there are so many other worldly desires that we have that it often crowds out, it pushes away, and eclipses that which is truly important. A God-given desire of the heart to honor, to glorify, to worship Him. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. Fear in this context and love of God, obedience of God, reverence of God, worship of God cannot be divorced. They're inseparable. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Those that fear the Lord, worship the Lord, honor the Lord, reverence the Lord, obey the Lord. They are those that bow down to Him. They fear no man because they fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord drives away all other fears. And that's what we need. We need more of the fear of the Lord. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. How do you know if you fear Him? You have a heartfelt desire to worship Him. It's not perfected. It's not perfect in this life. It's partial. It's, it, you think about it, it's, uh, it, it. The fullness of it has not yet come. It's a struggle still. But it's there. The unbeliever does not have that desire. And that comes by the working of the Holy Spirit. He is the one and the only one that can regenerate the soul and give that desire. It's morally relevant. Reverent is what it is. Morally reverent behavior. That's what it is. That's what it means to fear the Lord. We understand the ethic of Scripture. And that then informs our morality. And it's seen in the God fears. So David says he will also hear their cry and save them. He preserves them. He provides for them. To save them means to rescue them doesn't mean salvation here. David is already a believer. And only those that are redeemed call upon the Lord. So it means bringing them out of peril, this, this perilous situation. It's bringing them out of, of sickness or a difficulty or a problem or a struggle that they're going through. Persecution. The Lord delivers His people. The Lord delivered Israel out of Egypt. He delivered them out of the iron furnace. He brought them... Uh, into the wilderness, to worship Him, to serve Him. Forty years wandering, but the Lord had delivered His people. The Lord delivers us, and He delivers us and brings us into the body of Christ to be worshipers, to give Him glory and praise. God hears our cries. Are you thankful that God hears your cry? Are you crying to the Lord? Boy, I've, th- this crying here is a crying out. It's, it's one who has such a longing of the heart for God to hear. 
says the psalmist says, Lord, do you, do you hear me? Do you not hear my prayer? It's a crying and a weeping of the heart. It's a bleeding of the heart to God in prayer. This is the cry that he speaks about here. God hears that cry. I've prayed a lot of those prayers in my time as a believer. More so in the last couple of years uh, than ever. Crying out in, with a bleeding heart, as it were, unto the Lord. And again, the hardest thing is the waiting. But yet the Lord hears and He saves. He delivers is what it is. When the disciples were on the boat and they said, Lord, save us. They're not crying for salvation in the sense of eternally rescuing from sin. They're crying out to be rescued from the waves that are impending to crash and to sink them and drown them in the sea. The Lord delivered them. The Lord delivers His people in that way as we are a people that cry. Where where do you cry? Where do you run? What do you do? The church is so outsourced in our day, it's really abominable. We don't go to the Lord first. We run to all the experts of the day. Boy, I, I just I sit and I think about and I ponder this situation. What did the church do 200 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago when we didn't have the experts of the day? Oh, how did they survive? They had the Word of God. That's all that they had. And how did they survive? Much better than we do. There is so much doctrinal confusion in our day because the experts are idiots. They are not leading you to the Lord, to His Word. They are leading you away from His Word with a bunch of psychobabble nonsense. We are first and foremost to come to the Lord in prayer. I'm not knocking a doctor who is able to to put bones back together and to stitch up your skin and, and maybe fight some kind of infection that you have. I'm not talking about that. The psychology of the soul can only be remedied, beloved, by the Word of God. Not some shrink who's going to bring in worldly counsel and baptize it with a little bit of Scripture. And you're going to be all turned inside out like a pretzel, not knowing what to do, because that idiot doesn't know what he's doing either. Christ is the physician of the soul. Christ and Christ alone. We cry out to Him. We look to Him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. They're not in the worldly wise. They're not in the idiots of the day. The experts in the world's eyes. They're found in Christ. And so what does that mean? David says we cry to the Lord and the Lord is the one who preserves. The Lord preserves all who love Him. Do you love Him? Do you love the Lord? If you love the Lord, you demonstrate the work of the Spirit in your heart. Now, I didn't say how much you love the Lord. None of us in here love the Lord as we ought, because we ought to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, mind, and strength. We simply do not because of sin. But is there love in your heart for the Lord? Do you love Jesus Christ? Would you say with Martin Luther, let goods and kindreds go this mortal life also? The body they can kill, but God's truth will triumph still. That Christ alone is your hope. That everything else is sinking sand. Christ alone is the solid rock on which you stand. Is He your Redeemer? 
Is he the lover of your soul? Is he the one that you can get rid of everything else, but not my Jesus? Well, that, that evidence is, beloved, that the Holy Spirit has shed the love of God abroad in your heart, Romans 5. God has that. You love him because he first loved you, 1 John 4, 19. God loved you. He set his love upon you. And now John says, behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of the living God. Be amazed, be astounded that God has loved you in this way, that he gave his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for your sin. Be astounded that God did that for you. That's what the believer does. That's the love of God in our soul. God preserves those who love him. Psalm 121. He preserves our going out and our coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. The Lord will preserve your soul. He will preserve you. You are like strawberries and athletes. You are preserved in Jesus Christ. And therefore, you persevere in the race that is set before you. The Lord preserves all who love him. But notice this. The wicked. The morally corrupt. The evil of this world. The God-haters. Those who live according to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those, according to Romans chapter 1, are worshipers of the creature rather than the creator. These are the wicked. God is going to destroy the wicked. We find that right away in Psalm chapter 1, don't we? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season. And its leaf also shall not wither. But the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It will perish. All the evil that you see in this world, it's only got a season. It only has a time. Think of a farming analogy. It's planted, it grows up, but it only has a duration. The maturation day is coming and the sickle is going to be thrust in and all the wicked of the earth will perish and he will root out all that offends in his kingdom when Christ returns. God loves, God preserves the way of the saint. But the way of the wicked, it's a hard road. It's a terrible road. The day of destruction, the day of doom is coming. And I ask, beloved, are you trusting Christ or are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting Christ or are you looking to your performance? If you're looking to your performance... If you are looking to anything that you can do or who you are, you're on sinking sand and you're under the wrath and curse of God. And it's simply, as Jonathan Edwards once put it, it's like a spider's web over a fire. And it's that quick you drop into the pit. There's only one hope, and it's to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to destroy the wicked from the earth. Now, don't take here, destroying is meaning annihilating them. Don't take here when it says destroying them is that they're going to be all burned up and are no more. 
To be destroyed here speaks of punishment that is everlasting. They will be cast to hell forever. Don't get yourself all fretted up, Psalm 37, about the evildoers. Cease from anger, David says. The Lord will recompense. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You know, we talk about people get away with murder. Nobody ultimately gets away with anything. Nobody. The great judge of all the earth opens the books. Revelation 20. And when the books come open and they reveal all the works that man has done. God is going to separate the wheat and the chaff. David says as he closes, my mouth shall speak. Notice these these last words of David in the psalm. In the Bible, he says, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Beloved, let me ask you this. It comes to your last day, and you knew it was your last day. What would be your words? What would be, as it were, your epitaph? What would you want tacked up there on your tombstone? This is like as it were with David. He says, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Not the praise of men, not me. I'm nothing. I'm insignificant. It's the praise of the Lord Jehovah. The one who has redeemed me and rescued me. It saved me again and again and again from all the perilous situations in life. God is my rock and my redeemer. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Do our mouths speak the praise of the Lord? Do we give Him honor and glory and praise and all that we have? What about last night, beloved? Did you have a good night's sleep? It's the Lord who gives His servants rest. If the Lord doesn't give you rest, you're going to be restless. The Lord gives us comfort in sleep. The Lord provides us for our vocations. He gives us talents. He gives us treasures. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. Do you give Him praise? Do you give Him praise when you see a rainbow? Do you give Him praise when you get your phone out and it's dark over there to the west and you're looking and you're seeing and and, hey, look, a storm's coming. Rain's coming. And you gloat about with a big smile on your face because God's bringing rain. Do you give Him praise? Do you stop? To give him thanks and praise. This is what David says. It's praise. It's an act of worship. It's an adoration, isn't it? And you must adore the Lord to be one who is giving him praise. And this is what David does. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. And all flesh shall bless his holy name. David is saying through his praise, others are brought to praise the Lord. You know, Catechism 86 speaks about that. By your godly life, you'll win others also to Jesus Christ. Maybe by your praise, by your worship. You know, I gotta, it's, it's amazing how kids are. It's amazing how they notice things. It's amazing how stupid we are as adults to think that kids don't recognize things. Then the store, this past week with my granddaughter <clears throat> and we were in line to check out and an older lady came she had a couple of items and it was said you know you can go ahead of us and um, 
then it was asked to my granddaughter, why do we do that? And she said, because we want to love our neighbor as ourself. And the lady stopped and had a little conversation about that. And my granddaughter, five years old, says, she's a Christian. She knew something was distinct, different about that woman. And she says, yes, that's what Jesus calls us to be as Christians. And she asked her as she was walking out, are you a Christian? And the lady says, you better believe I'm a Christian. And my granddaughter had this big grin on her face. Something different. Something different about us. So something godly about us. Is there a, is there a, a jump in our step? Is there something different in how you behave in circumstance? If people say, I don't know what it is. But they're different. And I'm talking about a weird different. Some of you are that. I'm talking about a difference in behavior. We're not like the world. We don't get all excited as the world does. And we have a different vocabulary. There's something different that comes out of our mouth. And David says, it's praise to our Lord. Beloved, we need to be a people of the word so that we're a people of prayer so that the desires of our heart change, so that the Lord fulfills our desires because our desire is His desire. That we might demonstrate ourselves in this world as a different, unique, distinct people who are headed towards Zion. The the holy hill of God is the place of our dwelling. And that is where we're headed. Let it be so now. Let it be the praise of the people of God now let the redeemed of the Lord say so, because this is going to be forever and ever. Let us begin now to be a people of praise, because, beloved, it's going to go on forever. Amen. Shall we pray?